Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I am delighted to have in my studio the one and the only <laughs> Ariella Halevi. Hi, Ariella Halevi. Hi, Baruch Halevi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making it all the way to my office. I, I walked far and long to be in your office. Um, they've relegated me to the basement, so she actually <laughs> did walk far and long. But the bottom line is, Ariella and I have done many podcasts together, and we haven't done it in a while. We've been pretty busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of moving parts, kids going off to college, going off to school. Lots of transitions. Transitions, but we are back in action. We're going to do more together, although Ariella's got her own direction, her own offering. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll jump into our topic. Sure. So I am an ancestral, among other things, I specifically focus on ancestral healing and I help people come into their wholeness and feel connected to their body, mind and spirit through the idea of clearing old beliefs, of stepping into your own body, your own energy field, because many of us, um, you know, the second we come into this earth, we are connected right we're connected to our loved ones we're connected to loved ones from so long ago and past life things and past life energies and so what i like to do is clear the slate and we do that in um i do that in groups and also privately but we really go into and dive into which we're going to talk about today ancestral healing and how that seriously affects the way that we live the way what we pass on and how we do it. And when we are conscious and we are open to connecting actually our energy field and our emotions and our body to something greater than ourselves, to spirit, you can call it God, you can call it your soul, then you have a much higher success rate in everything you do, relationships, marriage, um, uh, work, living, life, prosperity, abundance, etc. That connection enhances when we can clear away what doesn't work. So you can hear our work is, you know, very different, but in, in so many ways complementary. Anybody listening knows ad nauseum I talk about, you know, the work of Viktor Frankl comes down to the power to choose. And the challenge becomes, though, what happens when we don't know what we're choosing from? Or our choice, we do have choice, but our range isn't so much because we've inherited certain aspects, factors, contributors to making our choices or blocks that we have that are blocking our ability to choose. And, and that's where I bring in the Enneagram. The Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system. And I'm bringing all this together and working with Ariella around taking back our power to choose our response by also considering the soil out of which we've grown out of, the roots which we still have. And sometimes those roots are nourishing and sometimes those roots are weeds. And so really thinking about where we've come from, what we've inherited as it relates to our power to choose our response. Yeah, and in other terms, I like to, I like to phrase it as you root down in order to rise up. Right, so I like what you said. You go down into, you are your own garden and you have a choice. As you look through the garden, you're going to have to pull the weeds in order for the flowers and the, the plants to grow. So we root down into your soil, but we don't stay there. A lot of people that are in therapy for many, many years at a time, um, there's nothing wrong with therapy, right? But what happens is we get stuck in the story 
of our ancestry. We think it's ours, but it's a story that has been told so long ago. And in order to rise up and make your life the life that you choose, that you are sovereign in, then you we have to go backwards in order to go forwards and to really release the story. That's when I know, for me personally and also when I work with people, is that when, when someone's really willing to release that story and stand in the truth of who they are, then the story feels stale and old. And that's when we start to rise. Recently, I offended somebody by saying the following analogy, which isn't mine, it's Wayne Dyer, but nonetheless, you are the sperm that won the race. And they said they don't identify with the sperm, so they didn't want to like go there. It doesn't matter if we identify. It's true. You're the sperm. You're the egg. Call it whatever you want that's won the race. But also, you're sometimes the sperm that lost or that won, but you're inheriting things that aren't yours or that you don't want to continue on. Like We don't think about our lives as all that we've inherited, both genetically in that situation, right? And do we want all of that? Well, we don't have so much choice genetically. You might argue we have some degree of choice. But then what about the stuff that isn't just biological? What about the stuff that we've inherited emotionally and family patterns and dynamics and traumas and tragedies and not only just individual families or individual relationships within families, but then um, cultures, communities, religions. You know, Ariella talks a lot about, and I, I'm part of this too, the generational trauma that we've inherited, in our case, both coming from Jewish tradition, of generation upon generation of trauma. And although I wasn't raised in trauma, I knew nothing but um, welcome and, and embrace of my Judaism from my non-Jewish friends and neighbors growing up, I do feel the remnants of that from days gone by. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting just from a, let's, I mean, not everyone listening is Jewish, but just from a Jewish perspective, because we're talking about it, um, you, I work with a lot of Jewish women that feel like they have this, this memory of Holocaust war stuff, yet they were never in it. Right. And like they were raised in a healthy environment, but then we start unpacking it all. And, you know, you realize, well, why do I have like food issues? Mm -hmm. A lot of Jewish people have food issues. Statistically, I think um, there are disproportionate amount of Jewish women who have uh, clinical eating issues in no small measure tied to this. Right. And and shame and you know worrying like wondering why do I hate my body so much why do I feel why was I born with so much shame to in in just being a body and the answer is wow the answer our dog just came into my office he never comes he except never does. for his source Mommy. of light and life is right here <laughs> Hi, baby. Um, so the, the answer is that, that you may have food issues, you may have alcohol issues, you may have this feeling of not being present in your body. And what I always tell people is that it, is, it isn't your fault, right? You're not here, you're not just planted here in the middle of the earth for, without connection. And for good and for positive and negative, we come with a whole history of connection. And I 
I remember I decided one day I was going to move far, far away from Los Angeles and never, ever come back. And then I was going to escape my family history. And, you know, as you grow, you realize that wherever you go, wherever you are, there, wherever you go, there you are. And, and it is truly true. Until we are willing to turn and face our history, and, you know, if you look at Holocaust survivors, the last thing they wanted to do was face that history. That's hard history, and no one blames them. And there's, but there's been a lot of outspoken Holocaust survivors that have said, like, if you don't face this, it will turn up again. If you don't face this, it will affect your, your people down generations, and it does. And not only just having direct people in the Holocaust, but just being a Jewish person, you have cultural identity tied to pogroms, tied to before, pre-Holocaust. And so the question is, what will you do with what you were handed with? Not, and, and a lot of us, again, want to push it away. And the answer is, in constellation work, energy work, constellation work, we turn towards it. We move towards it and we face it. And then it can be a blessing. And, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, if you're Jewish, but, you know, like African-Americans are still actively dealing with generational trauma, Native Americans, Protestants and Catholics. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what the description is. We all have history. We all have ancestry. We've all inherited blessings because it's important to look back and be grateful for being the sperm that won the race and generation upon generation of people living and loving and sacrificing and dying so that you could be here and all of the beauty and blessings and looking at those shadows and those darker side, the darker aspects of life that we've inherited that we don't want want to continue. Um, and so that's the really some of the work we're doing together right now, blending our passions and expertise. And I wanna just show and share a slide that I've created. I disappear, but the slide is there and you can still see Ariella. Now, if you're not watching and you're just listening, no problem. You can download this slide. I'll make it available on my website, defiantspirit.org. Go to the podcast page, scroll down to the bottom and you can see the slide. What we're looking at is what I call the geneagram. A genogram meets the enneagram. So those who don't know, a genogram is a family history more than just branches, naming branches on a tree. If you look at most people's um, family tree, it's names. And that's obviously the starting point. But what about um, different aspects? So some might do a medical history, some might do an addiction type history, but starting to see the patterns and the players in your being here and what you've inherited. So this is taking Enneagram types of my immediate family members putting them around the Enneagram, some of whom have actively participated and taken the Enneagram test. So you can do that, I can administer that. Some of them never heard of the Enneagram and certainly didn't take a test. You know, my grandparents, uh, even my great-grandparents who are on here are my lines that I come from. But I go through this, I do this with people now, where we'll talk it through. And truthfully, it's more valuable to talk it through than to have somebody take a test because the process um, starts to uncover patterns and ideas and issues that maybe we didn't know would be there. So this is my immediate family and I started to see things on here that I had never even 
paid attention to before. So maybe we could look at this and yeah. talk about as an example. Sure. But again, this is mine. Ariella has hers. We could also talk about her someday. And we could talk about yours. This is about you. So if you're just listening, we'll describe everything we're talking about. But I would love to talk it through with probably the person who knows my family um, best other than, any, other than the family themselves, Ariella. So it'll be really kind of interesting. Okay. So let's start with um, what I call, you know, constellations, gatherings, groupings, you start to see similar patterns. You start to see some types here represented and other types not represented. Right. So one of the things I see is lots of eight, nine, and one. And eight, nine, and one are the body types, um, instinct, but it's also control, right? So eight, nine, and ones feel like they're not, la they don't have control and they really start gravitating towards being, um, well, taking back control, but also slipping across controlling. And we're not going to say anything about my family members other than me. However, I understand where that comes from. You want to chime in on that? Yeah, I mean, when I look at anybody's, I mean, I'm, I love the genogram, right? The family tree and the idea that, like, look, just putting something on paper, even if you don't know who these people are, makes them come alive and makes it come to light. And so when I look at your Enneagram, and you know I'm involved in this because I see my children up there, it's so interesting, right? I see now that I can understand why like my son Aviv and I just have this language that nobody else understands, <laughs> right? Because we're both fours. So he'll say something and I'll finish his sentences and I'll say something and he'll be like, yeah, I totally understand. Versus like maybe somebody else on, with, well, Maya gets me too. Yeah, she does get you. But I mean, when you even looking alike, we look alike. Um, yeah. but, but she's got my energy. Yeah. So when I say something to an eight or even a nine or even a one, which is a lot of our family over here, they can look at Aviv and I and say like, where, where are you? <laughs> what world are you in? And like the fours, we're in our creativity. We're in our flow. We're in our dance. And like, how come the eight, nines and ones don't get us? And so coming back to the eight, nines, and ones, there's a control, sort of a closed, not in a bad way, can be, but it can also be like a good, healthy boundaries and borders, and, and those can grow into barriers if we're not careful. And so I can really see a lot of my family and me included in that. On that top side, where it's more control, the bottom side is, is much more of the depth, and I can see why I would gravitate towards you to counterbalance right. this. Right, and I can see why I gravitate towards the eight and the ones because we'll talk about the nines in a second, but the eights for me, they give me the opportunity to um, kind of push me into my voice, figure out exactly, like for fours and probably nines, it takes certain things to make us really passionate. I'm a very passionate person different than maybe a nine but with the four I have specific boxes of things where if like you get me talking I won't stop I'm so incredibly passionate about it, about that and so living with an eight even and also with my daughter it helps me understand like okay if I'm passionate I have to use my voice how do I get that out into the world and how do I do it in a way that what I've learned how do I do it in a way that's not angry and intense right like I mean there is this learning so now that I understand that 
he's an eight and he has an intensity about him, I now understand also with my daughter, if I come headstrong right into him, he'll go, he'll put up his walls and get really defensive. And that's what Maya does too, right? Mm -hmm. But if I express myself and I'm more vulnerable, then he can soften and he can, you can come back at, into the, you know, into the communication. Yeah. Yeah. And Ariel is taking over my genogram. This is my this is my time to shine. Just kidding. Um, okay, eight. But no, but seriously, um, yes. And so you can see why I gravitated towards Ariella. You can see why, uh, well, let me tell you why. I think we're so gathered, at least my brother, my sister, and I are eight, nine, and one. You know, we grew up in a home with a lot of explosivity. Is that a word? Explosiveness around my dad. My dad had a lot of anger, right? A little intensity. And it was scary. And I can see where, and my mom, um, you know, pulled back from that as an Enneagram 2, the helper, the nurturer. It's not really who she is. And so pulling back, my dad asserting, and the 8, 9, and 1s are really sort of anchoring down for the storm. As we're recording this, there's a hurricane down in Florida, and they're battening down the hatches. They're putting up boards on the windows because a storm's coming. And, and if I talked to my sister and my brother, I think they would confirm that's a memory that I have of feeling like a hurricane's coming, Hurricane Shelley, not knowing which version is coming. And so there's a control, and you can see why 8, 9, and 1, myself, my sister, and my brother did this up in that space to protect ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And in your different way, right? Because the nines do it. Like your sister's a nine, our daughter Shoshana's a nine, and the nines do it by by... Like, if you're preparing for the hurricane outside, what mm -hmm. they do is they border themselves up. Right. They're on the inside they of literally that. can create a fortress inside of them right. that's like, okay, I'm in hurricane mode. Don't come in. Right. Whereas I'm outside probably tying up things and in the wind and being blown around. Right. And, and that's where I kind of go to reactive. We don't have to live there. And, and the one is much more of the sort of details and the structure and the systems. But whatever. The point is just you can feel... I don't think these things are all nurture. So I think we came into this world. We can get into soul contracts and karmic and family patterns. But certainly nature or nurture amplifies it and brings it out. And you can see, or at least I believe this is partially why we, we grounded down in that eight, nine, and one, which are really grounded types. Now, if I move over to sort of where this, some of this comes from, and I started going through, well, my paternal grandparents, down in the heady space, I think my grandfather was a five, quiet, contemplative, cerebral, not necessarily so forthcoming with emotion. And the six, much more angst and anxiety. And I think that was my grandmother. And, and there wasn't a lot of emoting in the house that my father grew up in. And so my father became this one which is still has access to emotion. It's not a head type, but it's not emotive. It uh, has access as next door neighbor's emotion, but it's still a um, grounded type. So I think he, it was a sort of his lifeline was to create security for him. And ones are really all about structure and security and predictability and a morality. You know, my dad was explosive, angry, but he was a good man who had good morals and boundaries and was here to do good things and you can just feel how my dad might have gravitated towards that one spot yeah it's so interesting when you think about it like nurture versus nature 
and and the whole idea about epigenetics, right? Is like which is what? Well, you can you look at your family as a whole, and then the the idea of epigenetics is you have the ability to choose to switch on and switch off certain genes, and to to explore. If I say it more in my terms, I believe it's it's the idea that we have we can choose to be who we are. We can choose to get out of like oh. I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and this happened in my history and so now I have these issues that I'm dealing with. Well, yes, you have these issues, but the choice, which is what Baruch always talks about, the choice is what will you do with it? And that's where the sovereignty and the empowerment comes from is knowledge is power, right? And so the more knowledge you have, that's why I love part of my passion is looking at, let's say, the genogram and then energetically talking to you know your dead ones and gleaning i'm i'm really good energetically at feeling into the relationships between people lot living and dead right and so um the way that i do it is that i can see patterns and behaviors and beliefs that have been passed down and so the the power comes in when you choose to drop away from those beliefs as you connect the dots it's like a map Right. I mean, it really is. It's a map. And as you as you release that, you start to become what Baruch always talks about is your whole your whole self. Right. And that in my terms, you know, you walk around deeply connected in all ways. And, and you know, with this is you literally you can see it. And I think right. something happens when you can start not just to talk about it, which is great right. and to process it, but to actually see it, to, to see like, for instance, I do believe, and I put on here paternal line of my grandfather, my grandmother's side, coming from the six, coming from the old country, coming from the pogroms that Ariel is talking about, the persecution, the the fear, the anxiety. And I can see my dad's leap across the Enneagram as an act of bravery to break away from that. Now, he didn't fully break away. You know, my grandmother... um, died by suicide. My father died by suicide. So he broke away in some ways. Maybe he took it as far as he could. I don't know. But there was a break. And then on the other side, in some ways, I think it gave me, my siblings, my children, a fresh start that he made a big enough leap across or away from the broken roots or the unhealthy roots. And I can see that now. It's hard to describe and you don't have to understand it. I understand it. That's how I feel when I'm counseling somebody using the Enneagram with family history. They, they just get this aha, this knowing, right, where that's all that matters. I don't need to understand it fully or intellectually, but something happens when you start seeing the pattern. Or I look at my mom and her maternal line is twos, very two-ish, very helping, very nurturing. And it was like this aha, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my mother, aha. Right. I would call that, you know, your awakening. Um, Some people call that the black sheep of the family. Or we can have a couple black sheep of the family. So black sheep doesn't mean you're, you're the dark horse or you're the bad one. It does mean black sheep simply means you're the you're the one that woke up in the line and said, you know, and maybe Shelly, your dad did wake up. And but like the legacy that that your dad left behind is something very large to get through Mm -hmm. and so your black sheep if we want to call it is this awakening of 
oh my God, see all those four children around the Enneagram? Those are mine. Mm -hmm. And how do I then want to be in this world knowing my history? Then I'm going to possibly say no as much as I possibly can in this lifetime to the act of suicide so that these four generations that we have created and the generations that go on and on from them don't have to be carrying such a heavy burden. And the act of repair, right? We call this in Kabbalah tikkun, but like Mm -hmm. repair, generational repair. So I look at our son Yehuda, who's a one, and I do believe my father was a one, but Yehuda's a much more grounded, much less angry. He's a different subtype. He's he's born on a different base. You know, my dad had to kind of circle the bases. Yehuda was born on a third base, I think, with much more going for him. Bottom line is, I can feel in re-relating to my son as in a man now, he's 21, repairing the bond or the broken bonds that my dad and I had. And my son has his own relationship with his grandpa Shelley. Barely knew him, was was here for a couple years. But you can feel like a redemption or a redemptive process of healing through just looking at the Enneagram. Yeah, I mean, and just just if we could bring up our son for a second, who is, you know, older, 21, and and also very deep, very soulful. And and just good, committed to, like, goodness. Very, very good. And he called called me. He was doing an internship in Israel this summer. And he called me and he said, I want to, I want to let you know that I'm, I've, in, I've gotten a ring and it's, I got it engraved and it has Ariella and Baruch Halevi on it. And I said, why, why, you know, why are you wearing your, your parents' names on your hand? And he said, because, and this is another story for another time, you and Abba, dad, you guys changed your names, your first names and your last names. You're just giving away my secrets. Nobody knew this when you until were. now. <laughs> I'm sure. So we changed our names, right, when we got married, and we changed our first names and our last names. And this was before um, his, your dad uh, completed suicide and everything, but we just had this knowing that we were supposed to change our names. We, cha- we changed it legally. It was a very big process. And so Yehuda said to me, I'm, I'm very honored knowing my history I'm very honored to be the, fir- the, the firstborn son in the generation of the Halevis. I'm the first Halevi, you know, the firstborn son in the Halevi tribe. So it, it was like this really huge aha moment when I thought, like, I didn't, I never could plan for one of our children to say that. And it was like, it was like exactly what I think you and I have come on this earth for. Yeah, and I mean, you don't have to change your name. That was our way, but I do think it was an important way because I didn't know my father was going to kill himself at the time, but I did know my grandmother killed herself, and it impacted my family deeply, and I was watching him descend. And for us, or at least for me, it was this, you know, Frankel calls it the defiant stand. I will make my stand, and I don't know what I will be in this lifetime. All I said was at his funeral there will not be a third generation. Like, and that became a driving sort of a pulling a root, a deep root. And when I look at the Enneagram, I can, first of all, I have more compassion, knowing my father made that leap across the Enneagram to do the best he could with what he had. And when I saw that, it was like, and then I saw my brother as a one and my son as a one, and it really had a tremendous amount of both compassion, but also hope to see my son as a 
next generation, right? And yeah. he's not a survivor. He didn't survive that. Like, I'm a survivor. It, in some ways, very different than the Holocaust, of course. But I think of the previous generation coming over and the first generation of the survivors. And now we have enough distance that I think we can heal from it. Right. And this is my personal version of that. Right. I mean, we all have personal versions. And our son has his own personal version of what he considers enslavement or his wounds. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is just a new way for us, certainly, but also for you to consider ancestral healing. Because I think sometimes people hear that and they think it's not tangible, right? You, you know, you kind of engage in this esoteric thing, as opposed to it's very tangible to the point where, you know, when I'm doing it and the Enneagram and you and your family members, it's the both the picture that you do get. I work when I work with people doing this. Um, we, we put this together, you give me pictures, and we, but the, the process of talking it through and exploring and opening these conversations that maybe you hadn't had in a while. So maybe just share a little bit more about with you how it becomes yeah. tangible. So a lot of people think I don't want to do ancestral healing because it's therapy. And this has nothing to do with therapy. This has everything to do with turning and facing your where you came from and believe me from what i know about some of my family members like we, it's really challenging to do that and so once we start gathering that information right and i gather information in a different way but once we gather that information we start to go into what is called the quantum field which is energy healing it's um it's it's healing with the ancestors that you have both living and also dead and going through the patterns right so if you are working something on something in your life now if you struggle in your relationships and they're all I have a lot of women that come to me and they say I keep attracting the same people whether it's friends co-workers relationships love relationships I can't I can't stop Right, and so what we do is we go into the quantum field. It's energy healing, but it's also, um, it's also it's tangible because it changes faster than therapy, right? In the quantum field, which is just the field, what I what I call is is talking to spirit. It's communing with spirit. We can heal those beliefs that have kept you pulled down and anchored down for so long, and then we can start looking at. Why are you held down? What are those beliefs? Where do they come from? And so I intuitively go in and we find where those beliefs came from and we create ceremony. I'm a huge believer of sacred ceremony. And when you bring into ceremony, this is part of the shamanic work I do, when you bring your loved ones closing your eyes and imagining your loved ones around a fire and releasing things into the fire and letting spirit, God, your soul help you uncover who you really are. It is the most freeing, fast working um, feeling and real tangible thing in that you can do for yourself because then you've worked in this beautiful sacred ceremony and then you start seeing that your life changes. So you're here and then you go here and you're like, wow, I reacted differently over here. So that's the beauty of ancestral healing is that it changes your life now and generations seven, seven generations forward. 
Yeah, this isn't just about going backwards. No, it's also it's about going forward, forward, but you can't go forward till you've gone backwards. So, right. you know, Ariella is doing some really great um, work right now. If you're interested, you can find her at ariellahalevi.com, ariellahalevi.com. And um, you can work with her. You can work with me on the geneogram, the genogram meets the enneagram, this family history that I just showed you. You can work with both of us, some combination thereof. There's really no wrong way to do the work. Just do the work. Find some way to go backwards, to root down so you can rise up. Very good. I have to pay her every time I said that. I think she copyrighted it. All right. With that, um, check out Ariella Halevi's podcast at uh, Ariella Halevi. Coming soon. Coming soon. But there's old episodes on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go to the Soul Centered site where she'll be uploading there and to her own channel. So just get in touch with one of us, both of us, and stay connected as you defy your number and you live your spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.